I would also like to say to you gentlemen that uh, I also appreciate the blessings of knowing you and being with you. I think I can truthfully say, as Paul said to the Philippians, for the fellowship in the gospel from the first day till now. And uh, I enjoy being here, and I'm sure there are a number of you who should be here rather than myself. But at the same time, I'm glad to be able to share with you a few thoughts from the Word of God. However, I'm a nervous wreck now. You've got me worried about standing back, going forward, talking too loud, and being too low. And above that, Brother uh, also told me that I paused too much, and now I've got to be careful about that too. But we'll, we'll work out all right, I hope. If you have your scriptures, please turn with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, chapter 12. And I would like to read the first two verses. Already we have been considering this. And as my topic speaks about edification and the uh, verse that appears on the bulletin is Ephesians 4.12. And I trust we will also deal with that verse as well. But primarily I want us to look now at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 of Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As I read these verses, a thought comes to my mind that probably comes to your mind, or at least some of your minds anyway, and that is time and again, this is a verse I have heard, especially as a teenager, when missionaries would come to our church, or when the pastor would start dealing with young people especially, Romans chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 would surely be a verse that would be dealt with concerning us. And at the time, I thought, well, why is everybody picking on the youth? Why is everybody picking on us? Why must our minds be transformed, or why must we not be conformed? And uh, the rest of them seem to be pretty well conformed uh, to the world. Although uh, at that time, and still is true, we were taught not to be disrespectful, so I just thought this. I didn't say this. But now that I'm a little bit older, I can say it, what I was thinking. But nonetheless, it is true. God does tell us this. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And yet today, more so than even then, is it necessary to remind our young people of this, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And as was already brought out to us, how much more of the world allures us today, and how many more things are upon us and can cause us to go in the wrong direction than ever before. But nonetheless, the word of God still stands sure. We're not to be conformed, and we are to be transformed. Not only the youth, but also we ourselves, no matter whether we be uh, 14 or whether we be uh, 100. But as I thought about this, and also thought about what uh, Brother Bergener said yesterday, that God has punishment for sin. Now, we know he has eternal punishment as well for sin, but... Also, when he spoke about the immorality, we see that there are certain laws that God even has in the physical that takes care of this. 
and as he had uh, spoken to us of his own personal uh, experience, how many times the thought of uh, this uh, problem, physical problem that could come upon people who live immorally, that it kept him. And as I thought about that, I thought myself, what is it that kept me? Think about yourself. What is it that kept you from the ways of the world, so-called? Now, of course, we know the world got us in many ways, mostly in deceitful ways, didn't it? But nonetheless, we're talking about the gross immorality that's going around us today. What kept us? It was also immoral uh, 15, 20, 30, 50 years ago. But why is it? And what is it that kept us? And as I contemplated that, I thought about a verse that's found back in Proverbs. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you will. And I would say more than anything else in my life, that kept me from going the path that many are going today. I'm not saying it wasn't an allurement back then to do the wrong thing, but there was something that really kept me, and I believe can keep young people today in the same way. In the 15th chapter of Proverbs, and it says in verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Does that verse not send a chill up your spine? I know it did as a boy. When we graduated public school, you know, we were men now. And of course, back then, to be a man, you proved it by smoking, not marijuana as they do now, but by smoking. Why, a cigarette proved you were an adult. You were grown up. And I can so remember as we went into that candy store, we were graduates now, and we were going to show everybody. And all my friends were smoking, and they passed me a cigarette. I almost died of a heart attack. And then when they pursued the course, you know, to push on and push on as children, children do, or young people do, and you want to be in with them, I was tempted to start smoking it, but I knew the eyes of the Lord knew everything, the good and the evil. So I was smart and went between the rows and between the... Uh, they had canned goods, and so I figured he couldn't see me as well there. But even still, I knew deep down in my soul, the eyes of the Lord go everywhere, even between those aisles. And as I wanted to light up that cigarette, and that's the only time, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because I'm as wretched as they come. That's not for recording, though. Uh, nonetheless, something hit me, it was this, that God sees me right there. And as I wanted to light up that cigarette, I was so afraid that the ashes that would hit that floor would not be from that cigarette, but it might be mine. I had a fear of God. I'm not even sure I was converted back then, but I knew one thing, that God was God. And I knew he saw everything, I knew he knew everything, and I knew he hated evil. And I knew he hated in me as much as he hated in anybody. And I would not be exempt, so I didn't. And if we can instill this in our young people today, that God is God. That he's not the little man that people have demoted to, brought him down to our level, the good friend, and so that we think about today, but that he's God overall, or he's not God at all. And that he hates sin, and that sin is against his very will and against his very pleasure, and that there is going to be payment for sin. Even on the part of the believer, as we are unfaithful and as we walk in our old nature, we find that there is going to be loss of reward, and terrible loss, and eternal loss. A reward. This is a terrible thing to think about, but nonetheless it is true. But this verse, Romans 12, 
plus that verse in chapter 15 of Proverbs, I believe are two verses that God used in my life time and time and time again. No one was there to see me. No one was there to hear me. But I knew God was there. And I knew he could see me, and I was as afraid of God, more afraid of God seeing me than even my parents. You know, if the young people today knew their parents were standing there watching, I wonder if they would do what they were doing. I wonder if they knew that all their friends and all their relatives, if they could just see what was going on. I knew God did, and that was worse than anything else, because this was instilled in me. I wonder, have we become so fundamental that we've forgotten the fundamental fact that God is God? Now he says in chapter 12 of Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is what God counts to be our intelligent service. This is what it ought to be. This is what God desires for us and also uh, demands of us. And then he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what I'm going to deal with this afternoon. Not being conformed to this world, yes, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That, you see, is where the missionaries used to stop. They tell us not to be conformed to the world and to be transformed, but I don't recall them emphasizing the fact by the renewing of our mind. It seems as though they told us the, the problem but didn't give us the solution, didn't explain to us how we can prevent from being conformed to this world and be uh, transformed through the renewing of our minds. There are three points I'd like to bring out as we consider this subject, and of course, as we deal with this, we're talking about edification, building up, uh, being built up in the things of God. And the first one is I'd like to define terms. There are certain terms I think we need to define, and then secondly, I'd like us to note the believer's mind in heaven and the believer's mind on earth. Those are the three points I'd like to talk about as we discuss this matter. First of all, defining terms. We find there's a word transformation, there's a word renewing, and there's a word mind. These are three terms we have to deal with that we must give a definition to, or at least I'm going to. We may not agree with the definition I'm going to give, but these are the definitions I'm giving to the word so you understand when I use these words what I mean by it. First of all, I'm sure with a first definition we'll all be in agreement. Secondly, we may be in a little bit of disagreement, and on the third one there may be more disagreement. But nonetheless, these are the terms as I have defined them and uh, as others define them as well. First of all, as we deal with transformation, W.E. Vine speaks about it as this, to undergo a complete change. To undergo a complete change. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Now, as I say, I believe this is a good definition, for it seems the scripture verifies that definition. As we speak about transformation, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed, a complete undergo, or a com uh, to undergo completely a change. In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
Then he says in verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that a complete change? From all the defilement that he says, And such were some of you. How defiled he speaks about their uh, positions before they were in Christ. And then he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, they're now changed. What are they? They're now washed. They're sanctified. They're justified. And every one of us this morning who truly are regenerated and are truly children of God, we can say the same thing. We are washed and we are sanctified and we are justified. What a change has taken place. There is no word that can express it better than that word he uses in Romans chapter 12, a transformation, a complete change. Now, some people do not like that word transformation. People don't like to use the word conversion, especially the unsaved. It seems to shake them up when somebody talks about being converted. When we lived in Europe, we used those words and it didn't seem to bother us too very much or anybody else. We had a converter. Uh, we had a transformer who changed the electricity and so and that's what he's speaking about when he talks about transformation, a change, making us usable now. Just as we could not use our um, appliances from the States in Europe, we had to have it transformed. We had to bring it up to the currency that was there. So the same thing with us. We are without profit. We are valueless until, as far as God is concerned, until we are changed, transformed. All right, so when we talk about the word transformation, where he says he wants us to be transformed, it's not only a negative, but it's a positive. It's not only to be not conformed to the world, but to be transformed. Now, let's go on further, and he says, by the renewing. Now, there's another word I'd like to define, is what we mean by renewing. And already, uh, some have discussed a little bit and talked to some degree on this renewing, as he speaks here in this second verse. But by renewing, W.E. Vine again says, to make new, not recent, but different. To make new, not as far as time is concerned, but to make a difference. We find that when the scripture says that we are to be renewed, or that it is a renewing of our mind, he speaks about there's a change going on in the mind, and it's a transformation. Our minds have to be renewed. Now, when we compare chapter 12 and verse 2 with Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, we discover that Pastor Thurman was accurate this morning when he said that this is not simply saying, I am not going to, but I'm going to do this. How many times have you frustrated yourself by saying that? How many times the unsaved have made resolutions? I'm going to change the power of positive thinking. Only turns out to be the power of positive failure. But he speaks here in chapter 3 and in verse 5 about this renewing or renewing. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There's a renewing work that God accomplishes in us through the blessed Spirit of God, something that we are incapable of within ourselves, something that God must do for us and in us and through us, or it will never be accomplished. 
a renewing, something that causes us to be different, something that causes us to be so different, so different in character that we must describe it by new. Very much where we talk about the resurrection body, <clears throat> the same body that's buried is the same body that's raised, but it's raised in such a changed form that we can actually speak about as a new body. And so it's the same thing with our minds as we come back to this second chapter, or this twelfth chapter of Romans. Our minds so changed, so transformed by the renewing work of God that we can call it a new mind. Now that brings us to that third term we wanted to find, and this is where we may have some difficulty, and that's what is meant in the scripture by the term mind. Now, as also some other has said, have they, after they have studied the doctrines that they were preparing for, the scriptures they were preparing for, you'll learn something you didn't know before. And that's easy with me because I don't know much to start with. But nonetheless, when I started looking up the word mind in the various theological writings, I found some who wouldn't even discuss it. Some leading theologians who do not even discuss the mind. And we have all different views, and as I tried to say, well, let's put them all together and try to get an average out of them, you know, add them up and then divide them by how many you have and see what the average is, there was no average. And then, of course, it depends whether you're trichotomist or dichotomist or a moderate di trichotomist, whatever you might be, that will also give you a little bit of a, uh, a, a color upon what you believe mine to be. But without going into it, in great theological difficulties as some have, there are certain things we can come to agreement on concerning the mind. And again, I quote from uh, Mr. Vine where he says this concerning the word mind. Speaking generally, he says, the mind denotes the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. Now, whether we would agree that that is absolute and accurate, we must agree one thing, if anything else is being determined by the mind, and what theologians are basically in agreement with is this, that the mind belongs to the spiritual or the immaterial part of man. Is that not so? We see the mind more as just a physical organ, what we would call the brain. The materialist only sees the mind as a brain. He doesn't see it as an immaterial or a spiritual part of man. But nonetheless, as it's used in the scriptures, the mind covers a large segment or a large uh, number, as he gives here, descriptive words. He says perception and understanding. He says of feeling, of judgment and determining. But nonetheless, it is a part of that spiritual being. It's the immaterial part of man that we cannot see or that we cannot put under a microscope. And so we're going to judge with take the mind as to be the spiritual part of man, the place where we call ourselves ourselves. That part where we can, as the scripture tells us, glorify God, or we can serve sin as well in that mind. Therefore, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's provable that the mind can also be evil, otherwise why would it be needed, uh, be needing renewing if it were always perfect and always did what God wanted it to do? 
Now, we'll elaborate a little bit more on this as we go into our other points, but to give our definitions, we're talking about the mind as the spiritual part of man, as that immaterial part, that transformation, we mean by that a complete change, and that that complete change is wrought by the renewing work of the Spirit of God, and only he and he alone can accomplish that. Now we're going to go a step further and be a little bit more practical. We are going to show you as much as I can humanly uh, show you how God accomplishes that through the Holy Spirit of God. It's one thing to say the Holy Spirit does it. It's another thing to say how the Holy Spirit accomplishes that renewing work in your mind and in my mind. The second point is the believer's mind, and then I said in heaven. The scripture teaches, and here's where I'm going to reveal the fact that I'm trichotomous. I believe that uh, man is spirit, soul, and body. And as I speak about this, I'd like us to turn to Ephesians. Chapter 2. And beginning reading with verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in sin hath made us alive together with Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now as we look at that verse or not step back as we look at that verse we find that the scripture tells and speaks as if this is all one happening. As the fact that the believer is dead, he was buried, he was raised, and he's seated with Christ right now. Every one of us, I'm sure, would agree to the fact that every believer in Christ right now has been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, risen with Christ, and is seated with Christ right now in heavenly places. Is that not so? And yet it looks to me like we're all right here in Madison, Wisconsin. It looks to me like you're sitting on wooden pews and not in heaven, but down here in Madison. And while it may be nice in Madison, it surely is in paradise. And of course, you know, I'm being facetious in the way of saying that we're talking positionally. We're dead, buried, risen, and seated. But practically, and too often practically, that's not our experience. We find that while the apostle tells us that we have been crucified with Christ, that we're dead with Christ, that we've been raised up with Christ, and that we're seated with Christ, it is with that key uh, expression or that key phrase at the end of verse 6 where he says, in Christ Jesus. It's our position by the fact we're in Christ that we can say we have been crucified, that we are buried, and that we are risen with him. Now, also, I have to start talking about a subject that was in the conference last year here just for a moment. But before I do, I'd like to say this. I appreciate Pastor Johnson, and I know he knows more in his right thumb than I know in my whole head. And I appreciate uh, Pastor Thurman, too. But I have to agree with, uh, disagree with both of them on one point here. And uh, I know they may talk to me about this afterward, but concerning the old man and the old nature... But this is also pertinent to the mind and the renewing of the mind at the same time, at least the way I'm going to expose it. So 
just for one moment, I trust you'll bear in my folly a little bit. If you'll look in your scriptures with me to the um, book of Colossians, We all are in agreement, and we all said we're in agreement. I already trapped you into that. That's a good way the theologians do it. They get you to agree before you know what you're agreeing to, so you can't disagree. You all have said that we are positionally dead with Christ, that we've been buried with him, raised with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places. Already we've said that positionally. Now, we're in agreement, but I'm going to go one step further. Not only are we in agreement that the old man, I'm sorry, I meant the old man. Did I say old nature? I meant old man is dead, buried with Christ. It's not our new nature that's dead with Christ. It's the old man that's been crucified with Christ, according to Romans chapter 6. But now the question comes, is it only the old man and not his nature? Let's look at this Colossians 3 for a moment and look a little bit more cautiously at this portion of Scripture. He says, mortify, therefore, in verse 5, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the sons of disobedience, and the which ye once walked when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lie not one to the other, seeing, now notice verse 9, that you have put off the old man, and what else? With his deeds. Not only have you put off the old man, but you put off the deeds of the old man. And what are the deeds of the old man? Well, he says, uh, mortify these things, count, put them to dead, count them dead. Fornication, uncleanness, and order infection. We can go to Galatians. And see, what's the manifestation of the old nature, the old man? Well, we find that it's plainly brought out there, just as it shows in uh, Galatians, where in 5, where it uh, talks about the new man and his new nature. But if this is not sufficient, not only does he say the old man is dead, but his deeds. That has to be his nature. We're known, our nature is known by our deeds. If a man stands and he hollers and screams and carries on, you say, well, here's a man who loses his temper. See, that's his nature. He loses his temper very quickly. His deeds show his nature, project his nature. And just as you see a soft-spoken man, or you see a man who uh, lives a spiritually consistent life, you know what nature he's showing forth. The deeds show forth what nature it is. But turn back to Ephesians 4. And verse 22. He says that you put off concerning the former manner of life or that former nature. Isn't that the manner of life? Our nature? He says put that off. He says the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Now in Colossians he tells us that the old man is already put off. And not only that, his deeds are put off. Now, we know that's positionally. We know that not one person in this auditorium has the old man put off uh, experientially every single minute of every day. 
we know that his nature also is not off of us. We go back and think of our lives just even when we've been here at this conference. Think of how many times that old nature bothers us. How many times we've got to say, I'm not going to think that. I'm going to think straight on. Oh, how easy it is. And I know even in a spiritual gathering, our feelings can be hurt too easy. Well, he didn't say hello to me or something like that. And before you know it, there the old nature starts to take over, even at a spiritual gathering like we are now. Surely that old nature is not dead, but neither is that old man. Only dead positionally, but not dead practically. That's why as we go back to Colossians 3, he tells us, lie not in verse 9, Colossians 3, 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and not only that, but he goes on further and says, you have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of God. There's the renewing work of the Spirit of God accomplished in us after the image of him that created him. He says, where there is neither Jew, a Greek, nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is in all, uh, is all and in all. Now look at verse 12. But put on, therefore, as the elect of God. There's the experiential. There's the practical. He says you've already put off the old and put on the new. But that's positionally. That's the position of every believer in this room. But now, he says, he's encouraging them, let's experience that positional. Let's experience that. Let's put him on, therefore, as the elect of God. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Holy and beloved, tender mercies. And so he says, let's make this a reality. So the believer's mind, as far as heaven is concerned, the believer's mind in heaven, as our position is there right now, we are there as far as God is concerned, spirit, soul, and body. Right now, as far as he's concerned, it's a completed thing. We're already there. But however, the position of the believer's mind on earth is quite another story. We find that the deeds of the old nature why the deeds of the old nature can't react on the new nature? Because the new nature cannot sin. And if we have a difference between the old nature and the old man, where is the old nature working? Upon whom does he work? Not the new nature that's renewed after the image of God or the knowledge of God. Not the new nature that even John says cannot sin. Therefore, we must conclude, or at least I must conclude, that the old man, with his nature with his deeds, is put off. That's exactly what he says in chapter in verse 9. The old man, and he says, with his deeds. Where are they? They're put off. They were buried with Christ, and they stayed in that tomb. And there was a resurrection that took place. But it wasn't the resurrection of the old man. Thank God he's down positionally, and he's dead forever. But now experientially, I find out that he's very much alive. I find that that old nature constantly is a bother to me, and all of his deeds are a bother to me. And I also find, as what Brother Thurman said this morning, that there are tenses to our salvation and to our sanctification. And as far as our positional goes, the old man with his deeds are put off once and for all, dead and buried, and he can't be resurrected by any stretch of the imagination positionally. But practically, I find that that being is still around, and that he troubles me so, but that God says by grace and through faith, as I believe what God says, 
I can have victory over that. Accepting what Christ says, and by faith, through the power of the Spirit of God, I can put off the old and put on the new. So I don't see that the distinction is between the old nature or the old man and the old nature as I see the distinction between our positional stand and our practical stand. That brings us to our third point, and that is the believer's mind on earth. Now that deals with where we are right here and now. That brings us back to Romans chapter 12. I find that the Apostle Paul is a very practical theologian, far more practical than most of the theologians I hear. He not only says we have to know the Word of God, but he also says let's put it into action, let's experience it, let's make it ours, let's appropriate it by faith. If we're dead with Christ, then let's appropriate that fact. If we're risen with Christ, let's appropriate that fact. If we're now the children of God, let's lay hold of that. Now in that 12th chapter again he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your intelligent service. It deals here with the intellect, and as soon as we start talking about the intellect, we start worrying about the fact that he's getting off of the spiritual realm. No! The intellect's a part of that spiritual realm. How can you believe, the argument is even in the Roman epistle, uh, of that which you've never heard? And what good would it do to hear if you can't comprehend? So we find that the mind or the intellect has a great deal to do with our spiritual being. He says here, and be not conformed to this world. You know why so many Christians are conformed to the world? Many of them. Well, we can say carnality, but that's the easy way out. It's because many Christians have been untaught. I mean that sincerely. I find that when a person is first saved, if that person gets into a Bible class and he starts growing immediately, you find that that person usually goes on. If he finds all the excuses, but, if, and I can't this time, and I can't that time, usually, now not always, that's the way his life continues on spiritually. He's a but, and, if, or man. But we find that the scripture tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world and that it's got something to do with our intellect. How do I know that? Because he says to be transformed, how? Through the renewing of our minds. Our minds have to be renewed. If you think that our minds are not important, all you have to do is think of the millions of dollars, oh, I don't know, far beyond that probably even, in brainwashing our minds. I heard a statement not too long ago on what some people call the boob tube or television or so forth and someone said this that in one day the amount of money that's spent on defense in the world that if we could take that money that's spent just in one day by all the nations of the world in defense and spend it on the hungry people we could feed them for a year doesn't that sound remarkable i thought if we could take the money that is spent in one day on trying to send out propaganda and to brainwash people and all the pleasure that people enjoy, in one day, we could probably feed the world for the next hundred years. Now, that's really stretching, I'm sure. But I'm not a mathematician, you can well tell. 
But nonetheless, as I'm trying to bring out, is the foolishness that man tries to show through his uh, little facts and figures. God tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world, we're to be transformed. Our minds are important to God. He cares what you think. He not only cares what you do, he cares what you think. How many churches would refuse to allow somebody into membership who drinks or smokes or swears? And I'm not saying you should drink, smoke, or swear. But I wonder how many times are we concerned about what we think? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know why we're having this conference and why we've had any conference? is because we want to wash our brains. And don't our brains need washing? I don't know about you, but I find that when I look at myself and I see the things that come into my thought life, at times I say to myself, I couldn't be saved if I looked at myself. And I thank God that salvation is not of me, but it's of the Lord. As I look at Calvary and I see the all-sufficiency of Christ, when I see what he has done in my behalf and his faithfulness, then I thank God I know I'm saved because of him. But when I look at myself and I think of how often my mind goes to rebellion, I'm not talking about just about the most horrible, evil things here, but I'm talking about the rebellious attitude I have about so many things. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind needs the renewing work of the Spirit of God. And just as uh, Brother Rodebaugh brought out this morning, and he said it was something that he had contemplated, but there's something I've been contemplating too. It seems to me that this is not a once in a, uh, a time that you dedicate your life and also your mind here to Christ, but that it's a continuing thing that goes on to the day we go to be with Jesus Christ. I know that experience in my mind. I know that my mind, though I have... I can remember at times when I've gotten down on my knees and said to God, take my mouth, take my ears, take my fingers. You ever do that? Take your feet. Maybe that sounds ridiculous. But I, I meant that sincerely at the time and got up and then used them all back for my glory again. I know that it's a continuous thing. Now we can uh, express it as a once for all happening, but it's a continuous operation that goes on every day of every moment we're alive until we go to be with him. Now, he not only speaks about our bodies here, but he also speaks about our minds. He speaks about the fact the way we think, the way we feel, the way we are, has to be under the direction and under the renewing work of the Spirit of God. While we're here on this earth, and until we go to be with Jesus Christ, you can be sure, as the Apostle tells us, that the flesh and the Spirit are contrary one to the other. That old man and his nature is against the new man and his nature. And just as surely that that new nature can't work, uh, that new nature can't work on that old man, neither can that old nature work on that new man. And they're at battle, one with the other. The carnal mind is that enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. So he tells us that it is with our mind. Now let us turn just for a moment to Romans chapter 8 while we're on this subject. Our minds must be renewed. He tells us that it's the Spirit of God that renews our minds. Now in the 8th chapter of Romans, 
he writes in verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Now you obviously know, and probably have studied this for yourself, that the English word mind is not always translated by the same uh, Greek word, of course. But nonetheless, notice what he says here. He says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Is that not true? What does the old nature think on? What does the world by and large think on? How they may please God? I know even in the school that we have, how often we have to deal with the old nature and say, well, there's certain dress lanes and there's certain requirements here. And the old nature rebelled and says, why must it be? And my old nature rebelled and said, because I say so. <laughs> but nonetheless, I usually have the word of God to back me up too and they have to sit down. But he says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Isn't that where the world's mind is? Look at your bulletin boards and look at your signs as you go any state. What are they talking about? Treat yourself to the be uh, best, you know, choose something. And go out and buy yourself, treat yourself. You deserve to go out. You know, you really do. Go out into eternity in darkness. Now he goes on further and he says, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. If you're here and enjoying yourself here, it's because you're interested in the things of the Spirit. I haven't seen too many things that have been too appealing to the flesh. Even the food was all right, but I'm talking about the natural now. What have we been doing that would really appeal to the natural? We haven't had any tennis. We haven't had any basketball. We haven't done anything that might be in some way appealing. We haven't gone to a movie or anything yet. All we've been doing is studying the Word of God. Some of you have taken off work and traveled many miles to be here. Why would you do something like that? Because of the spiritual mindedness. Now he says, those that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded. And that's what a believer can be. The believer can be carnally minded. Isn't that true? Are you never carnally minded? You never find the fact that the old nature takes over and he rules, and your thought life becomes under the direction of that carnal fleshly mind, and you find yourself at enmity against God? For to be carnally minded, why he says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now that death here is not speaking about eternal damnation, but we find it speaks about separation. You and I, as we sin against God, we find immediately the fellowship is broken. Don't you discover that in your life? Someone told me that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, and Paul never says that we have to confess our sins. Well, I don't know about that, but I know that when I sin, I normally and naturally want to confess it. If I step on your foot while we're here at the conference, I know God's already forgiven me for doing it, but I ought to say I'm sorry to you, otherwise our fellowship might be broken a little bit. But to be carnally minded, he says, is death, is separation from God, and I know what that experience is, and you do too. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, and you also know what that is. You know that there's no one closer in this whole world than two believers in fellowship with Christ and each other. So we find that the believer can be carnally minded, and he can be spiritually minded. Not because he was able to resurrect the old man from the grave, oh, he could never do that, but because the old man positionally is buried, but practically never has been, not yet. 
Someday that's coming. Someday that complete salvation will be ours. But that is not yet. We find he still lurks and is there every moment. And so it is with my mind. I know I have a carnal mind, but I know I have a spiritual mind too. But I know I can put off the old and his nature and his mind. And I can put on the new and his nature and his mind that's renewed after the knowledge of God. But I know I can't do that by the power of positive thinking. I can only do that by the renewing work of the Spirit of God. For it is God that works in us to will and do with his good pleasure. I like that so much. Work out your own salvation. Not work for it, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that's working in you. I'm so thankful for those verses. Now he tells us that the old man is positionally put off. His nature is positionally put off. His mind, all of that old man, his wholeness is put off for me. But practically, I find that I must battle. The spirit and the flesh are constantly. And God tells me and warns me and beseeches me, as he does here, to present my body, our bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy, separated unto God, which is our reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, renewing work of the Holy Spirit of God. What will happen from that? That we may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. What will keep our young people from getting into the immorality that's going around about us? What is it that's going to keep us out of the despair that's all around us? I couldn't help but think as our brother asked the question today about whether we should joke or not. I know that bothered me for a long time. In fact, Pastor Sam had admonished me on this. He said I should smile more and so I've been trying to. I'm not a good joke teller. I've had to confess that. Every time I tell a joke, nobody gets it. And sometimes I'm as serious as a preacher, you know, and people laugh, and I don't know why. But nonetheless, there's nothing wrong with enjoying ourselves in Christ. But there's everything wrong with using the Word of God lightly. There's everything wrong with making a fool out of God. And I've heard some preachers tell jokes that were so disrespectful to God that it's a shame to think they would say such a thing. How can we not be conformed to this world? How can we get out of that uh, rut that the whole world is in and they can't get out? By faith. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us positionally and practically that can be ours right here and now. Every moment of every day. Do you have that faith? God tells us that he's working in us, both to will and then to do of his good pleasure. The more we are in the word of God, the more God is able to work. He uses the word of God. It's the spirit of God with the word of God that is constantly working in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as we bring this to a conclusion, how can we have victory? How can we present our bodies and how can we have our minds renewed? By the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, as we yield ourselves in humble submission to the truth of what God says. How do I know Christ died at Calvary? God says so. How do I know my old man is buried with Christ? God says so. How do I know I can have victory over sin every time and every time and any time? Because God says so. As I, by faith, accept that, I find I have victory. And let us never forget the eyes of the Lord 
behold us every moment of every day, not only what we do, but what we also think. Therefore, brother, he says, I beseech you, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, it's one thing for us to admit to this, the truth of the fact that we are positionally in Christ and the truth of the fact that we have a spiritual mind. And yet, our Father, it's another thing to live that practically every day. And we ask thee now by thy grace that thou wilt cause us to be spiritually minded, that through the word of, as it already has been presented to us and as it will yet be presented to us, that we might be washed, that we might be cleansed by it, and that practically we might enjoy life and peace. That as we leave this conference and we go back to our individual ministry, that we might be used of thee to also help those that are under our ministries to see the same truth, that by thy grace will not be conformed, but will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For we ask it in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.